Hey everybody, it's Matt Zola from Fern Creek Christian Church. So glad you're able to tune in with us today. Hey, while you're on your phone, why don't you go ahead and follow us on social media at Fern Creek CC on Facebook and Instagram. And you can download the Fern Creek Christian Church app on your phone today. We hope this message encourages you to become a better follower of Jesus, to be a disciple that makes more disciples. So without further ado, here's the message. Well, hey, good morning, everybody. Now, I love, I love Baby Dedication Sunday for several reasons, but even more this week, um, this year. Num- number one, the hairlines of the baby and my hairline have a lot of similarities. So we, but I love, I think it was little Aubrey who said, I love to eat and sleep. That's me too. I love to eat and sleep. So uh, it's great to be part of a church that dedicates uh, families to the Lord. Welcome to you today. If you're visiting with us, we're launching a brand new series. Um, we'll get to that here in just a second, but I have a question for you. The question today is, do you have a place you go to relax? Maybe it's the ocean. Maybe to get away from it, you wanna take a walk in, in the woods or you go to the mountains. Maybe you got a man cave or a she shed. Maybe your place where you relax is Skyline Chili or Jeff's Donuts. Just saying, just saying. Do you have a place, do you have a space that eases your mind, soothes your troubles, calms your soul? Well, I think Jesus had such a place, a place that he went that just kind of breathed life into him. Um, The place is called Bethany. I want to show you a picture where Bethany is. Bethany is this sleepy little hamlet, this sleepy little village about two miles southeast of Jerusalem. So the second picture on the right is kind of a picture from the Temple Mount looking at the Mount of Olives, looking at the Garden of Gethsemane. Right over the top of that hill was this little town called Bethany. Now, if you were given Olympic medals out to cities mentioned in the Gospels, like the city that is mentioned the most, the city that would get the gold medal would be Jerusalem right? Uh, The silver medalist for towns mentioned the most in the Gospels would be Capernaum, a little place that Jesus lived for three years. But the bronze medal, the the city of all cities that would come in third, is actually Bethany, this little sleepy town of about 400 people. And you're like, uh, there's a lot that goes down there. Jesus relaxes here. He will raise a man from the dead right here. We'll talk about that guy next week. He's anointed here. His triumphal entry will start here. He will spend the last six of seven nights of his earthly life in this little place. He curses a fig tree here. That doesn't sound too calming, but he, he does that. And then he ascends back to heaven from this little place right here. And I asked myself, what drew Jesus to this little tiny town? I mean, was it was it, was it the date, pomegranate, olive trees? It was kind of like an oasis. Was that it? Was it proximity to Jerusalem? Like it's only two miles. Like he doesn't have to, you know, it's kind of like just a, out of the hustle and bustle of the busy streets of Jerusalem, maybe. But I think, I think of all that made that place special to him was a family that lived in that town. There were three siblings, two sisters and a brother, Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. And I think... That's what made this place special to Jesus. 
Uh, in, in John's gospel, when we talk about Lazarus being raised from the dead, we'll talk about that next week, look at what we learn about the connection Jesus has to this family, these siblings. Look at what we read in John eleven three. The two sisters sent a message to Jesus telling him, Lord, your, what's the next two words? Your dear friend Lazarus, right? Yeah, so, so it's not just your friend, your dear friend Lazarus. And then look at John eleven five. 5. Although Jesus loved Martha, Mary, and Lazarus, John eleven thirty five thirty six. 36, Jesus wept. The people who were standing nearby said, see how much he loved him. So even though the gospels don't tell us like, when they met, how they met, where they met. Jesus loved this family, and he loved their home, and he loved spending time with them. So for the next three weeks, we're kind of launching into this series called Bethany, the little, play, little town where big things happen, because Jesus did some amazing things in this little bitty place. Not just amazing for them, but those, uh, it just kind of ripples, those waves ripple, and, and I think there's some amazing lessons for us to learn from this place today. So let's dive in. I want to tell you kind of the first time we see Bethany pop up in the Gospels, it's in Luke chapter 10. So if you have your Bibles, flip over to Luke chapter 10. If not, take a look at the screen. Look into what we read the very first time Jesus experiences Bethany. As Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village. This is where Bethany is, a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. And she came to him and she said, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Now in these first two verses, we learn a lot Here's the first thing we learn. Even though the text doesn't necessarily say it, I think Martha was the firstborn of the family. Had to be the firstborn. The house is her house, but she's also the firstborn because she's bossy. It is absolutely true. Where are all the firstborns? Raise your hand. I'm a firstborn. Any firstborns? Look around. Those are all the bossy bottoms right there. That's just how firstborns roll. We just we love to control everything, <laughs> right? I, I, like if you're, if you're a firstborn and you're planning a family trip to Kings Island, you give out the printed schedule and it reads a little like this. 7.45 a.m., we pull out, I'll provide seating chart for who sits next to who in the car. 9.45, we stop at exit 150B for gas and a bathroom break. You got six minutes. 9.51, back in the car. 10.47 a.m., we arrive at the park. I will provide snack baggies with everyone's name written on them. I will hold the tickets to the park and distribute to you when you get there. Here are the list of the rides and the times we will meet. That's just how firstborns roll, right? Am I right? And so when I read this text, I'm like, man, Martha had to be the firstborn because she is hosting this dinner for Jesus. Now, when you think about it, this is serious. I mean, hosting this dinner party for Jesus. When I counted, there's at least 16 people. Jesus, the 12, Lazarus, Mary, Martha, right? And, and that's, I'm just feeding a small army. And we know, you know that when you plan a dinner party, you know how it rolls. Everything rolls so smoothly, doesn't it? No. 
Nothing runs smooth, right? The falafel needs more time in the oven. The shawarma, we forgot to cut the shawarma. The pomegranate tea, it just spilled. What are we gonna do? Barbecue sauce, we forgot the honey for the, we can't, how are we? And so Martha is just kind of flustered. Now her sister, Mary, has been helping her, but all of a sudden she looks up and Mary is gone. And she looks out and there Mary is sitting, not working, she's sitting, listening and laughing to all the stories that Jesus is telling, and so Martha has had enough. And so, man, the text tells us that Martha just kinda comes unglued, kinda pops a cork a little bit, and in the chaos, she walks into the room and listen to what she says. Let me remind you, look at verse 40 again. She came to him, she comes to Jesus, and she said, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Now, I don't know about you, but when I read this, I'm sensing a little edginess here. Do you pick it up? I'm stressed just reading it. Reading it makes me stressed out, because I think she's stressed out. So she's twisted, she's uptight, and, and she doesn't hold back. And I love that about Martha. It's not like, it's not like she daintily walked into the room and daintily motioned for Jesus to come over and calmly whispered this. She doesn't, Rabbi, I I hate to bother you. I've prayed about this and I just, I feel it would be best for the kingdom if maybe possibly she could circle back to your lovely teaching and and maybe you could ask her to tithe her time and come back to the kitchen to prepare this wonderful meal for all of us. Amen. (laughs) She doesn't do that at all. She just marches, Joe, what's up? Don't you care what's going on? I mean, she, she, I mean, what I love about Martha is that she's in such a relationship. I mean, this isn't the first time they've met, right? She's comfortable enough around Jesus to keep it real, right? I mean, she doesn't have to doctor it up, doesn't have to dress it up, doesn't have to sanitize what she's feeling. The relationship is to such a degree she can just be who she is. And I love that about Martha. That when you're in relationship with Jesus, not a religion, when you're in relationship with Jesus, you don't have to pretend. You don't have to hide your feelings. You don't have to stuff your feelings. And this is so good. Because what I'm learning, right, it's a, our faith is a journey. What I'm learning is when I'm in relationship with God, he's big enough to handle whatever I'm feeling. Big enough, to, if, I want, if I'm angry, he's big enough to handle my anger. I, I don't need to filter my hurt. I don't need to sanitize my questions. I can talk real, I can feel real, I can be real. And again, you know, when I pray, I don't have to have it all figured out, and I don't have to have the right words. I don't have to talk King James when I pray. I can just be me. I can be raw. I can be real. Jesus invites that. Jesus is big enough to handle Martha's stuff. And I love that Martha teaches me Jesus wants me to be real in our relationship. That's what she teaches me, right, so far. Now let's go to Mary for a second. Because Mary's gonna teach us some things about a relationship with Jesus. Let me remind you, look at verse 39. Martha had a sister, Mary, who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. Now, you read that verse, and if you don't understand the 
context and the culture in which it comes from, you would miss it, but I'm just telling you this verse would have triggered a lot of people back in the day of Jesus. Like if they were reading this story, like first century Christians or second century Christians reading this would have gone, oh! Or, or if you would have witnessed that, you would have been like, oh! Right, because what Mary does is, is, is scandalous, it's scandalous. Let me explain. In the day of Jesus, the home, the house, was divided into sections. The typical house had a bedroom, a common room, and a kitchen. That's all that they had. The kitchen was designated for, for the ladies. Men didn't go into the kitchen. The bedroom was shared space between husband and wife. Outside the house was shared space. Men and women could co-mingle. But the common room, the living room, was men only. That was the place the men gathered. And what you're reading that Mary does, Mary crosses two invisible lines that women that day should not have crossed. Not only did she ignore the no girls allowed sign and go into the man cave, when she came in, she didn't linger on a back wall. She didn't curl up in a corner. She came right down front and sat at the feet of Jesus, and people in that day would have gone, who does she think she is? Scandalous, and let me explain. Back in the day, Jewish rabbis, so if you were a rabbi, a Jewish rabbi, every day you would get out of bed, first thing you do is pray this prayer. Here's the prayer every Jewish rabbi would pray. Blessed art thou, O God, for not making me a Gentile, a slave, or a woman. It's not my prayer. I, didn't pray. I don't pray that, right? That's what they prayed. Women in, in Jewish culture were considered property. That's how women were treated, right? If you look at the temple, like when the Jews went to the temple to worship, the Gentiles could only go so far, the women could only get a little bit closer, and then the men could get real close, and then the priests could go in. So women were, were kept farther away from the temple than men were. If you were a woman in the day of Jesus, you, you saw a crime happen, they wouldn't allow you to, to, to give testimony to what you saw in a court of law. Jewish rabbis only took men to be their students. So when Mary enters the man cave and she sits at the feet of Jesus, she was taking, the, she, she, was, she was saying, I'm equal as all of these men and I'm even a disciple. You only, only disciples sat at the feet of their, of their teacher. So she's crossing all these invisible lines. Now again, the text doesn't say it, but I think Mary has to be the youngest because that's what the babies of the family do. We're the youngest of the family. You're the young, they're the boat rockers right there. Look around. They are the proud ones. They are unashamed. They'll go because they can get away with murder, right? Or the babies always get away with it. So Mary could care less what culture says, could care less what the societal rules are. She barges into that room and takes the position of a disciple sitting right at his feet. And what's so cool about this is that Jesus embraces that. He welcomes that. So, so, so Jesus, Jesus teaches you know, Martha teaches me a relationship with Jesus is real. Mary is teaching me a relationship with Jesus is bold. Like, I, I don't care what's going on around me. I just want to be with Jesus. And, and, and just kind of a side note, I love that Jesus welcomes women, elevates women. Sometimes Christianity gets a bad rap because it's patriarchal and down with, no, 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 no. Man, Jesus is the only rabbi of the first century that welcomed women to be 
to be students. And man, he welcomes this. He doesn't shun her. He doesn't get on her for doing this. He welcomes that. And I love that about Mary. She teaches me to be bold in my relationship with Jesus. Look at Hebrews chapter four, verse 16. Hebrews four says, let us come boldly. You want a relationship with Jesus, man, be bold. Come boldly, pray boldly before the throne. There we will see mercy. We'll find grace to help us when we need it the most. So again, Mary teaches me to be bold. She's not gonna let social norms or cultural rules to, to keep her from Jesus. And um, she was comfortable enough in their relationship to, to just be with him, to be in his presence. And as I was reading this, and I was thinking about how she busted some social norms and cultural rules, I thought, I wonder how, how that is in, in our walk, with Jesus, in our relationship. Like, do social norms or cultural rules dim our flame for Jesus? And you're like, well, what, what are you talking about? Well, let me give you an example of how, how sometimes we let other things, we let other people's perspective influence our relationship with Jesus. So the question that, that I have for you is, and don't, don't answer, don't raise your hand, but, but do you, when you have a meal at home, do you pray? Do you, do you, do, do, before, you, before you eat your meal, do you just say a little prayer, you know, God, thanks for this food. I'm, I'm just bless you for all the, maybe you're like, yeah, yeah, I, pr I, pray at, I pray at my house for food. Well, let me ask you this. When you go out in public at a restaurant, do you pray? Now, some of you say yeah, and some people are like, whoa, 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 not so fast, bald man. That, that, that's a little different. I, I, you know, that's different. Praying at home is one thing, but praying at Bob Evans or praying at Olive Garden, well, I'm not, I'm not asking do you stand up at Olive Garden and stretch out your hands and pray, oh, God of the north wind, I praiseth thee this hour for my linguine Alfredo. And God, you make the tastiest of breadsticks and I pray your forgiveness of all these heathens and their gluttony around me, but I celebrate... I'm not at, no, I'm not saying to you make a scene or be kooky when you pray, but when you're out and about, do you just, hey, let's just silently, well, what people might see or people might look or what, what I'm asking is do, do social norms or cultural rules impact how you flesh your relationship with Jesus out? It was really... Mary was the one who said, I don't care what the culture or society says or think, I am gonna, I'm gonna get as close to Jesus as I can. So when I, when I, when I these four verses, first time we, we come to Bethany, Martha teaches me, man, it's okay to be real. Mary teaches me it's okay to be bold, right? So I learn a lot from these two ladies, but here's the deal. Jesus is now gonna teach something. So both of them teach me, and I, and I learn, but now Jesus is gonna speak up. And Jesus is gonna teach, I think, the greatest lesson on what he's looking for in a relationship, right? So let me remind you again, Martha has come into the room, kind of tense and edgy, tell that sister of mine to get back there and help me, and listen to what Jesus says to her, because he's gonna teach her and teach us some things. Look at verse 41. Martha, Martha. Now, now when you repeat a name twice, it's a, it, it's a, it, it, it's a, it's a term of endearment. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered, you are worried, you're upset about many things, but only one thing is needed. Mary has chosen what is, what's the next word? It's better. We'll get to that in a second. What is better? And it will not be taken away from her. 
So, in, and again, in, in two verses, Jesus talks to us a little bit about something powerful in a relationship that you and I need to know. Now, Martha has asked Jesus for a favor, and he's basically told her no. And sometimes God will tell us no. But notice how Jesus tells her no. He does it very gently. He doesn't embarrass her, he doesn't shame her, doesn't guilt her. What were you doing back there? I'm the teacher and you should have been here. He doesn't do any of that. But, but he, is gonna, he is gonna teach her something because something's a little off kilter inside of Martha to be so edgy and so agitated. J- Jesus wants to speak to her and draw her deeper. And so you gotta be like, what, what is he trying to teach her? In effect, what is he trying to teach us? Well, it comes back to this, you're worried and upset about many things. Is that what he's, like, like, is that what he's getting at? Like, like, what are the many things? Well, it could be all the stuff that she's trying to get ready, right? Maybe it's all the preparation, the food, the stuff that has to be done. Maybe, maybe he's like, you could have just made a casserole, right, or a crock pot. Maybe, but let me offer another possibility, another one of the things. Maybe it's, it's the thing that's, that's hidden underneath the shawarma's not cooked. Maybe it's the thing that's, that's hidden underneath the falafel got burned or the pomegranate tea spilled. Maybe this is the thing that Jesus is trying to get at. And, and the thing goes back to what she said. Jesus is responding What he says is in a response to what she said. So let me remind you what she said. Go back and look at the text. My sister has left me to do the work by myself. Tell her to help me. So so do you see it? Four times in one verse, the emphasis is placed on who? Martha. This is... Is this really about her? Now, I know she's doing a really good thing, and service is really, really good, but is there something underneath her activity and her service that Jesus finds maybe a little wonky? There's no way to know if what I'm about to say is true for Martha. I'm just speculating, but I will say it's true for, for some of us. And here's the truth. Sometimes my identity, sometimes my value, my self-worth is somehow linked, I somehow link that to what I do and how I do it. Like sometimes, sometimes what I do and how I do it is linked to who, who I, where my worth comes from. And I'm not, saying, I'm not saying that's what Martha is doing. I'm just saying that sometimes that's what, that's what we do. So, so let, me, let me explain. So we all have an identity. We all want to be somebody. We all want to be loved. We all want to be valued. We all want to feel special. We all want to be respected, right? We all have this identity that we want to, to achieve. So what do I got to do to get that? Well, I got to achieve. I got to work. And so I'm going to do stuff. And then people will see what I do, people will see how I do it, and they'll value me, they'll embrace me, they'll accept me. So identity, achievement, acceptance. So this is how it works. I wanna be loved. 
I want to be valued. I have, I, I have an identity I want, so I'm going to starve myself. I'm going to eat 50 calories a day. I'm going to work out. I'm going to be a certain size, and I'm going to post some suggestive pics. And then people will see that. They'll see what I've done. They'll see how hard I've worked. They'll see how I look, and then they'll embrace and they'll accept me. Identity, achievement, acceptance. Or maybe it works this way. I want to be somebody. I want to be respected. I want to be valued, so I'm going to work like a dog. I'll go in early, I'll stay late. I'll sacrifice my family to climb to the top of that ladder where people will see what I do, they'll see how I do it, and I'll be the best. And I'll be valued to the company. Identity, achievement, acceptance. And somehow, for some of us, again, our value comes from what I do and and how I do it, and that is exhausting. It's a frustrating way to live because it never stops. You always gotta keep doing, you always gotta keep doing, you always gotta keep doing. Always trying, never sure. It's like the hamster on the wheel. It just keeps going, going, going. And then when when what I do fails or I get fired or people don't appreciate it or, or when the falafel burns or when the shawarma is raw or when the pomegranate tea fails, or when my sister abandons me and the meal flops, I fall apart, I'm stressed, because the master will see that I failed, the master will see that I bombed, and and he'll think poorly of me. Do Do you understand what I'm saying? My identity, my worth, my value is all based upon what I do and how I do it, so I get worried and I get anxious. I get frustrated when things don't go the way I think they ought to go. And I'm not saying that that's what's going on, and I'm not saying that's what's going on for you, I'm just telling you that's what's battled me and plagued me for years. This is why you never elevate a pastor. We're on this journey just like you. Over the years of my life, there has been a constant battle that takes place in my mind. And I'm just telling you, as a 55-year-old man, I still hear whispers of you're not enough. I still hear whispers of you don't measure up. You gotta do it better. You gotta do it better. Now those voices over the years have dimmed, but they're still there. And I really wish the me that I am today could go back and talk to the Craig 20 years ago, because what I would tell him would be this, it doesn't matter what you do or how you do it to God. Relax. He doesn't keep score that way. Doesn't matter what you do or how you do it, relax. Like, there were days, and sometimes I still find that they're, they're not as many, but there were days 10, 15, 20 years ago when I would walk out of the pulpit broken on Sunday because the sermon wasn't what it should have been. Somebody said something, and I would walk to my car apologizing to God that I didn't get it just right. I would tell that younger version of me, 
Stop trying to find your worth in what you do for God or how you do it. Stop thinking God is grading you on performance. That's not how he keeps score. It's not identity, achievement, acceptance. The way God does it is acceptance, identity, achievement. I am already his, right? When, when, when my mind tells me, man, you're not enough. What, what my friends tell me, what the world tells me is not what God tells me. God tells me I am enough right now. God tells me you are deeply loved right now. God tells me you are mine right now. And I think as Martha potentially struggles with some issues underneath the surface, listen to again what Jesus tells her. Mary has chosen what is better and it will not be taken away from her. I don't think Jesus is saying, Mary chose not to cook the shawarma. I don't think he was saying, Mary chose uh, not to be in the, I think he was saying, Mary has an understanding of who she is, and she is accepted, and she is loved, not based upon anything she says or anything she does. She just wants to be in my presence. So here's, here's the big lesson. We talked about Bethany is the little town where big things happen. Here's, here's the big thing. Jesus is gonna tell Martha, he's gonna teach Martha, and he's gonna teach all of us who come after him, who want a relationship with him, you don't need to do anything to be loved by God. I don't know who needs to hear that today. You don't need to say it right, do it right, think it right, to be loved by God. You are accepted, you are received, you are valued not based upon anything you do, not for what you drive, not for how you dress, not for getting everything right. You are loved not because you're in ministry or out of ministry. You are deeply loved because he is your good, good father. And man, we need that message today. Jesus invites us into this relationship. There, there is doing to do. But I wonder if we have forgotten the being. There's so much to do, we just don't have time to be. And I think that's the invitation Jesus gives not to Martha, but he gives to all of us. I mean, think about life. There are bills I have to pay, leaves I have to rake, dishes and laundry to do. There are people that rub me the wrong way. There are groceries I've gotta get. The game comes on at a certain time. I got a trunk to get ready for the church's trunk and treat. I have to study and prepare for a Bible study. All this stuff I have to do. And maybe Jesus would come alongside of us today and lovingly put an arm around our shoulder and with a twinkle in his eye say, Craig, you are worried and upset and pulled apart by so many things, but only one thing is needed. Your value doesn't come from what you bring to the table. Just come to the table. Just come to the table and sit with me. Maybe this week, the so what to the message, right? as we learned in four verses about this little town called Bethany, maybe the so what is, maybe this week we're gonna learn from Martha. And we're gonna leave today going, you know what? Jesus wants me to be real in our relationship, so I'll, I'll be real. I'll, I'll tell him exactly how I think and what I feel, and, and he's big enough to handle that. I'm gonna be real. 
Maybe that'll be your takeaway. Maybe the takeaway for you today is let's be like, like Mary. I, I wanna be bold. I wanna be bold in my walk with him. I'm not gonna let social norms or cultural rules shape how, how my relationship with Jesus is, is developed. That, that would be a good thing. Or maybe, maybe we're gonna fall on the words of Jesus and we're gonna learn that our value, our worth, doesn't come from a single thing we do. Doesn't come from all the, the doing. He, he just says, you're loved. You're valued already. So don't get that twisted in your mind that when you're at your best, I'm gonna love you more, and when you're at your worst, I'm gonna love you less. No, 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 no. I love you unconditionally no matter what you do. So, so you got stuff to do today. You got things you gotta get done today. Do, do them. But maybe today the lesson is gonna be, you know what? I just need to carve out some time to be. And just to sit at his feet, not doing anything, but experiencing his peace and his presence. That's the invitation that I don't wanna miss. Let me pray. Hey, it's Matt Zola again. That was a powerful message we just heard. I pray that what we have learned today wouldn't just be stored in our minds, but would move into our hearts and help us to be conformed into the image of God's Son, Jesus. And I pray that that message helped you become a better follower of Jesus and taught you how to love, live, and lead like Jesus. If you want to talk with somebody about something you just heard or you want prayer for something going on in your life, there's somebody on staff who would love to connect with you. Why don't you email us at office at ferncreekcc.org and we want to put a name to your face. We want to know your story and we want to connect with you in person if we can. Again, that's office at ferncreekcc.org. You know, one of the things we value at Fern Creek Christian Church is being a part of community. If you've been listening to our sermons online or you've been watching our services on YouTube or Facebook, why don't you come visit us in person one Sunday? We would love to get to know who you are, and we believe that we grow better as followers of Jesus in community and not in isolation. You know, God gives us community as a gift. We have services every Sunday morning, 845, 10, and 1115, and we hope that you'll feel welcomed enough to be able to join us and worship with us in person. Thanks for tuning in today. Grace, peace, bless others this week.